0: Hi, this is another UCLH COVID-19 update. Today, we're talking with consultant virologist, Jen Shen. Could you give us a quick overview of what the virology department has been involved with during the pandemic?
1: So, from the moment we just became aware this is going to become a major public health problem, and obviously when it was declared a pandemic, we've been focusing on ensuring that the trust and our patients, and then also staff, have access to good um, speedy diagnostics, which are reliable and robust. That's taken a lot of work in the background with our lab colleagues, with our, all of our partners across the sector working together, and including academia as well. Hmm. So we did develop a test quite quickly. Once we were satisfied with the performance of it and that it would be robust and reliable, we pressed into service. As you will heard in the media, we had some big challenges with the logistics and there was a global supply chain issue, which was very well reported. We managed to be reasonable and sensible with our demand across the sector. As far as I know, every patient needed a test, got the test. In the subsequent weeks, some commercial assays came along. So as a virology department, we looked at those and brought those into service as well, again, with our laboratory colleagues working here. So that's probably the mainstay of it. In addition, we've been doing a lot of work with a lot of colleagues across the trust. There are no more silos of, with COVID now. And we've worked with a huge number of colleagues in operations uh, with the states and facilities, with people at security, obviously many medical and nursing colleagues, intensive care, so across the entire trust. There's this phrase, one team, which has been used a lot, and this literally was the manifestation of that. So we've been working with nearly every team imaginable to make sure every area is ready for for COVID and for the tsunami, which was, we could see it was coming. And then more specifically, we've been working very closely with infection prevention and control to make sure that we have the right setup in the trust, we have the right rooms and facilities, and of course, most importantly, PPE, many of which were following PHE guidance, making sure we a, follow the guidance, and B, we had effective training, for example, mm. again, working with many other colleagues and the infection prevention control team very closely. And then the last strand of it is working closely with occupational health, which clearly, we're a large employer, we've got mm. around 9,000 staff. So working closely to make sure that all staff concerns are addressed and making sure that, again, working with many other colleagues, that the PPE training is available, adequate, appropriate, and up to date with the current guidelines. So been an extremely busy period, one other aspect is helping write policies and SOPs and protocols, which helps us all in an emergency to deal with things so that people can just quickly look at a quick SOP or something say, this is what I need to do. And of course, that helps everyone tackle what has been a really unprecedented emergency.
2: How big is the virology team and have you been able to expand your numbers to kind of help deal with this? That's a very good question. Change?
1: We have four consultant virologists. And we had plans to have a, recruit a fifth, but the COVID emergency helped those plans, and we so we expanded to a fifth consultant as a to co- certainly to cover the pandemic. And in fact, in recent weeks, we've got, as you know, many staff have been redeployed.
0: Yes. Um, so
1: we've actually got a, a colleague redeployed from CNWL, uh, and HIV consultants. Uh, in addition, we've also had some redeployment at the registrar level. We've got at least one registrar attached to our team and she worked with us before so that's great so we have expanded our team.
0: Talking about the virus could you possibly give us a quick run through of the other coronaviruses and maybe Mm -hmm. what makes this coronavirus similar but also quite unique? Sure
1: so for many decades coronavirus virology was a very poor cousin to all the other viruses it's basically the seasonal human coronaviruses which are at least four that we know of have been there for many decades and just caused a common cold. So we've all had common colds. I've had a cold, I've probably had it. And there are four of those which you know about, and they cause a mild disease, which is self-limiting. You just get a cold or maybe a cough, and then it just goes away after a few days. It's usually quite trivial. We can test for that in the lab, but actually until COVID uh, really, if I see a positive, we see a positive, we kind of shrug our shoulders and you know, mm. it's not a really great consequence. There are some other well-known coronavirus which have caused international concern, the first SARS virus, coronavirus in 2003-04 emerging from southern China and that caused an outbreak of around 8,000 globally and about 10% case fatality rate. But with very aggressive public health measures, we controlled that. The next major coronavirus was the Middle East respiratory syndrome coronavirus, which emerged around 2012 and that did cause significant outbreaks in the Middle East and some spillover through international travel to Europe and North America and Asia, etc. So the Middle East Spiritual Syndrome coronavirus, fortunately, has not caused a pandemic situation, but it has been international spread. So that's something that's always on our radar, but it's, it does not cause the constant problem which COVID has. And then, of course, we now have COVID-19, which is obviously highly infectious and has resulted in the massive unprecedented pandemic which we're yeah. all dealing with at the moment. So those are the main current human coronaviruses that we know about. The, the thing which links the last three that I have mentioned, SARS, MERS coronavirus and the current COVID-19, is that these are zoonotic infections from animals, most likely a bat ultimately, although MERS is strongly associated with camel contact. So this is an example of a virus crossing the species barrier between animal to human and then leading to epidemics.
0: Is that why it's been such a challenge?
1: That is part of the issue because it is a new virus, as far as we know, to humans. Nobody until now has got any immunity to it whatsoever. So. When it has hit the human population which, in whichever continent, it has completely fertile ground and has spread with great ease mm. uh, throughout the population because nobody has immunity to it. So that is one of the factors which has uh, led to this problem.
2: When did it kind of come onto your radar and when was the concern starting to raise that this would be an issue that would
1: be impacting
2: on UCLH and the UK and obviously internationally?
1: I was actually on holiday in Hong Kong when the Chinese authorities announced this as a concern to the WHO on 31st of December 2019. And although it was literally a 30-second piece on the news in Hong Kong at the time, any emerging virus which China notifies anyone of is, as a virologist, you know, raises eyebrows to say the least. So although it came out as a very low-key announcement of 40-odd cases in Wuhan city, I watched that quite closely. And then certainly Hong Kong, which went through SARS the first time, also frankly on edge about this, and it clearly emerged quite quickly that there was quite a significant outbreak. And so probably from about mid-January to late January, as the case numbers started to increase and as we saw infections in other countries like Thailand, like Japan, etc., it became clear this was a significant problem with potential to spread. And so by the end of January, I think a lot of our radars were working quite um, Hmm. furiously to say this is and also get get it onto other people's radar and to alert the trust and other colleagues that there's something going on here and we need to be be concerned.
0: What role do you think antigen and antibody testing will play going forward?
1: I think the current interest and debate is about the antibody testing specifically, which is a blood test to look for antibodies against COVID-19. There's been, again, a lot of media attention on this. And the most recent update is that NHS England intends for a very large-scale testing of this on a population level, but also focusing on NHS patients and NHS staff. This is coming imminently, um, and I'm sure announcements will follow very soon. In terms of what role they'll play, they'll serve two functions. One, I think there's a public health benefit of it, What would help us have an idea Mm. of how common this infection truly is, because we've been relying on patients coming in sick to ED and testing them. But if we were able to do uh, antibody testing on a large scale, we can get an idea on the population level how many people have had this infection. Clinically, it can help um, with some cases where the, maybe the PCR is negative because patients have come in late. If you, find, if you find antibody, that may be helpful. So that's another scenario. And then the other one, which we get a lot of questions about, people may remember that they had some symptoms in February, March, before we had a wide-scale testing, and they may want to have a blood test to find out, did I get an infection in March? Which this is probably the only way to find out. So there are a number of potential applications. And I think serology will be a very important tool in that.
0: And in terms of immunity, how long would that immunity last for or would we not know anything like that?
1: To be honest, we don't know that because yeah. you know this virus has been out there for five months. All we can do is look at other coronaviruses and from those other previous coronaviruses we've people looked at, they do generate antibody responses, so you can detect antibodies, but they often wane over time. So seasonal coronavirus, for example, many of the coronavirus virology experts will say that that will wane after within a year, probably. With MERS, certainly we know that there's, a, in Middle East, for example, and they've looked at it, there is a certain population prevalence of antibodies. With COVID, the jury's out, we're still, we're still learning a lot about this. I think the general consensus is that the immunity will be relatively short-lived. And also the other really big question is, if you have antibodies, does it protect you against reinfection or another infection? And these are questions, the real questions, which we need to all answer in the coming months.
2: I think one question we had was just about sort of the accuracy of swabs. So, like the tests that we're doing at the moment for staff for patients, like is there a technique element, the timing element of when you do the test in terms of what result you'll get back? What kind of bearing do those things play?
1: Technique will affect the robustness of the results. So, a well taken swab is clearly better. And some of the tests that are, that are out there will have aspects of the test which can indicate whether the sample is well taken or not. For example, anyone who's had the staff testing, the team that does that is now extremely experienced in doing mm. that, so I'm sure they're doing it very well. So if you take a nose, nasopharyngeal and throat swab, a well taken one will have a very high chance of dissecting virus if it's present at that time. So as you said, patients who may come to hospital later on, they may not have a, they may, their swab may not, may not be positive because the amount of virus shed Probably declines over time, so they probably peaks in the shortly before they become ill, and then for a few days after that, that's probably the, the highest chance of detecting virus is in that period. But for example, I've seen some when I've seen uh, authorized some results and they're weekly positive, and I've looked on on Epic to see what the story is. it Says cough and fever eight days ago, and so they've come quite late, but we've just managed to detect it, which tells me that the tests that we use are quite quite sensitive, um, because we we're able to detect people even at the end of the illness. So. Uh, that should be reassuring for people. But yes, the SOB technique is important. And there are videos on the internet, but also on the intranet on how to take a SOB properly.
2: With the other coronaviruses, the feeling is that this is contagious when patients or people are asymptomatic.
1: Is that the case with some of the other ones or is this kind of unique to this strain? I think with most of the others, we tend to believe that they're infectious when people are symptomatic. With COVID, because we've had so many cases and there mean, somebody read so much research on it, far more than most of the other coronavirus I've mentioned. I think this is probably s- somewhat unusual that we know that it's infectious one to two days before, and there is some evidence on a smaller number of patients that it could be inf- people could be infectious even more than two days before. At the moment, most people would say you're infectious two days before symptoms onset, and that is a bit unusual for the coronavirus, to the best of my knowledge. We know that flu, for example, can be you can be infectious before symptoms, but For COVID, again, it is a function of the sheer number of cases and the amount of research that has been done and also the clinical observation of patients as as we've seen so many. It is a bit unusual, but it should be borne in mind that people can be infectious before before symptoms, which is one of the reasons why we're all being asked to wear so much PPE.
0: And I think the last thing we wanted to maybe ask you was looking at a vaccine and when that might happen and maybe why it takes so long to get something like that.
1: Uh, actually, when I was asked this question a few months ago and in, in recent months, I've, I was always saying I expect something will come in 2021 yeah. at the earliest. But in fact, I've been proven wrong because as you've seen on the, on the I think BBC and, and, and the media, there is an Oxford vaccine trial that's been launched. So we have to watch that with you know great interest. A vaccine is clearly going to be part of the response to the pandemic and we'll see what this vaccine trial shows and the, the hope, of course, is it delivers protection against future infection, which lasts, and that's what we need to find out through this trial. And there are many other trials across the world. So part of the amazing response globally is the amount of research and development which has gone into antiviral drugs and vaccines. And both of these are gonna be key weapons against this awful virus.